May these words of my mouth and this meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you know that classic uh, dream where you show up at school and you've forgotten you have an exam? I don't have that dream anymore, but what instills that same level of panic in me on Sunday mornings is when I'm really enjoying one of the hymns, like the last one we sang, and I think, what if my microphone is on? (laughs) That is not a sound any of you want to hear. There's a reason I always speak the Eucharist. I had that moment. It was like instant sweat. When our children were young, their favorite bedtime stories came from several volumes of read-aloud Bible stories written and illustrated by a woman named Ella K. Lindvall. They wanted stories from these books every single night before bed. They loved them so much, in fact that I have given them as gifts to all of my great nieces and nephews over the years. They're wonderful books with tight prose and descriptive words, many onomatopoetic, which I particularly love. Beautiful, simple, vibrant illustrations. This story from Mark, this story of Jesus falling asleep in the back of the boat and then calming the storm, was always one of their favorites. The story had all the great sounds of the wind wailing. I liked doing that part. (laughs) And the waves slap, slap, slapping against the hull of the boat. And as the reader, you would naturally rise to this dramatic crescendo, or at least I would, with the disciples panicking and begging Jesus to awake. And then you'd finish off the story, or I would, with that stage whisper of who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's great stuff. I miss reading aloud at bedtime. And this story has all of the elements of a great end-of-the-day tale. Do you recall back in Advent when we began our journey with Mark? I shared with you some of the hallmarks of this particular gospel, some things to watch for throughout the course of the year. And one was that Mark, of all the gospel writers, does not think very highly of the disciples. And this text makes that point abundantly clear. The disciples have been with Jesus through his performance of miracles. He's cleansed a leper. He's healed the withering hand. He's cast out demons. He's taught in the synagogue and on the shores of the sea. He's taught people through parables. And he's been followed not just by the disciples, but by great crowds. The disciples accompany Jesus through all of this, but they still 
seem to fail to really get who he is. It has been pointed out that we should go a little easy on them and not dismiss the severity of this storm. It's good to remember that these were, after all, a bunch of fishermen who made their life on these very waters and had likely endured many a strong storm, encounters with terrible weather and rough seas, and they probably did not scare easily. But they are scared. They woke Jesus up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? After calming the storm, rebuking the wind as he had previously rebuked demons, he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Those are pretty painful questions, aren't they? It's the heart of this passage, it seems to me, and it makes me wonder. Is it Jesus who needed to wake up, or was it the disciples? Was it perhaps his followers who needed to wake up and put together all of the clues of what they've witnessed so they could truly, truly know who it is that they are following? They needed to wake up and pay attention to what's right in front of them. My friends, why so often does it take a storm coming into our lives to make us really pay attention. I can sympathize with Mark's dense disciples because I know that sometimes I have had to be in the midst of a storm in life to realize who Jesus is, who Jesus is and what power he has to calm the storm, often the one within me. Who Jesus is and how I have been equipped through my faith to deal with the storm and not be paralyzed by fear. Whether our personal struggles, those within us, or those storms outside of us, the climate, our economy and job opportunities, homelessness in the city of Denver, any of the rampant isms in our present culture, or children being separated from their parents at our southern border. We need to wake up. We need to pay attention. This life of faith isn't just happening to us. It is not a passive existence. Jesus invites active participation in his work in the world. Wake up. Be present to the world and to the work of Jesus in it. People often share that their faith grew in a time of trial through the storms. They felt closer to God, 
maybe found God for the first time or renewed a relationship with God. But why do we have to struggle to keep our faith relevant and at the fore when things are going well? In the catechumenate class this year, there were several discussions about prayer. Why do we pray? How do we pray? Some folks felt unworthy to be able to string together the appropriate words to say before God. Some folks wondered about the point of prayer at all if God already knows. These were great conversations and and just engendered a wonderful opportunity to share where we feel connected and disconnected. And great ideas were bantered about. But it didn't really occur to me until working through this text that prayer is also fundamental to our ability to stay awake. When we are engaging in an active life of prayer, praying for our loved ones, our world, our leaders, our common life, we are awake to the intersection of ourselves, the needs of others, and God's work in the world. We pray for many reasons, but perhaps one of the most important is that it keeps us awake. Awake and in tune to all of the things within us and without us that we need to hold up to God. And it can, and at times it absolutely should spur us to action in the midst of the storm.